This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. All right, Crossover Podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. What up, Beck? What up, Mannix? How was your Friday show? I didn't get a chance to listen yet. It's in the queue, but uh, how was the Friday show? I mean, I don't know how you could possibly be waiting this long. I don't really, what else do you possibly have to do? You missed me and Evan Wash, the scheduling czar of the NBA, uh, talking about playing the discouraging of tanking, the fact that this late in the season, they have way more teams competing than ever before. We talked about um, all the other aspects of this compressed schedule and the weird season injuries, whether that's up or down. Um, the two-game series, is that something that maybe we could see in a, in a real schedule next season when things return to normal? All of like the, the logistics and all the, the fun insider-ish stuff about uh, the schedule and all that this year. So yeah, you should uh, go listen, Chris, when you've got a spare you're, minute. You're double-dipping, aren't you? You're taking interviews that you're using for print and you're using them on the podcast actually not this case i did in fact talk to evan twice once for the story that i did last week and then the podcast was a completely separate thing i swear no i'm i'm not knocking it i think in the next couple of weeks you're probably going to hear several members of the utah jazz on this podcast (laughs) from previous interviews uh that i've done but uh, check out howard's uh, friday podcast you got another one this week do have one coming this week with a, I'll just say with a former coach. I don't want to say the name just yet in case that uh, the scheduling doesn't work out, but I got something good lined up. All right, check that out on the crossover feed. Howard does his own podcast every Friday, and we do this one on Tuesdays. And for this episode, Howard, we're going to Chris Paul, his MVP candidacy. I want to talk about the Lakers and some of their problems they're having. But you and I have had a debate over the last few podcasts about – the Nets, and the importance, I guess, of continuity, of team chemistry. Does talent win out, or will the Nets 
you know, when we look back on this three, four months from now, uh, look back and say, well, the Nets needed more time as a group together. As we often do at the top of every show, we bring in somebody smarter than us. Today, it is Sarah Kustak, the great analyst from Yes Network. You can check her out on FS1 as well. Sarah, welcome to the show. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. This is my first time on yours and Howard's podcast, and I'm honored, I'm humbled, and I'm going to clip that statement because, Mannix, I think that's the first time you have said something relatively nice to me, to my face, <laughs> since I've known you. I disagree with that. I, I uh, disagree no. entirely. No. I, I, I'm going to have to go back and check the tape because I'm pretty sure I was, you know. Uh, I'm holding on to this tape. No, thanks <laughs> yeah. for having me. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate All right, so guys. Sarah, s- settle the debate here because, and maybe there's a middle ground. Maybe it's not one side or the other. But Howard's of the belief, and Howard, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you know chemistry matters with this team. That the fact that they've only played what seven games together. I'm talking about James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, X number of minutes, uh, and that may not change that significantly over the rest of the regular season. That that is going to become an issue for this team in the playoffs. I look at it on a little bit of a different or a lot of a different uh, lens where I think that these guys are just awesome. <laughs> you know, it's Durant, it's Irving, it's Harden. And if all three of these guys are on the floor, they're just going to be better than everybody, at least in the Eastern Conference. Where, where do you come down on that, about the need to have these guys playing games together before the end of the season? I think there is a balance between need and what you would ultimately desire. So would you love as much time together on the floor as possible? Without a doubt, but by virtue of injuries, the lack of availability, just how this season has gone, um, you are going to just be happy when all three can finally be on the floor together and hopefully be healthy. Because I think first and foremost, the priority is that these guys are healthy. Now, what I will say is despite the fact that they've only played together, call six and a half games, that funky Toronto game where um, with the health and safety protocols of Kevin Durant not starting and being pulled um, in the middle of it, I think there has in some ways been a distinction of roles and fit for these players, um, especially when it comes to James Harden, Kyrie Irving, um, Kevin Durant, I think, a, a top of him being one of the most prolific scores we have seen and just you said it just absolutely tremendous as a player um he's so versatile and can fit alongside anyone that that leads me to believe that there will be a quick quick learning curve or a quick acclimation of how they're all on the floor together they all have such high basketball iqs um and i think for me more of it is the others, the complementary players, and how they are all able to adjust and have that same understanding of roles and responsibilities. And there has been so much fluidity with this lineup, um, top to bottom in the roster, who's been in, who's been out. I think they're at 34 different starting lineups, 33, 34 to this point, the amount of players that they have had come through. And the one thing that has been a consistent is just how they've all had a buy-in of how they want to play, figuring out what's been asked of them on the defensive end with this switching scheme, um, an area where it, you know, needs improvement or has continued to improve, but we have started to see that. And offensively, I mean, I, they, James Harden and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are just so eye-poppingly talented that when you see it on a daily basis, um, it is evident the gravity each of them have, then add in a Jeff Green, who's been shooting lights out from the three-point line um, with highlight dunks. Joe Harris, you know, you got one of the most efficient three-point shooters in the league. The, the list goes on. And so do I think that there's probably going to be different periods throughout the course of the game that will take some time? Uh, absolutely. To me, a lot of it, because you'll probably stagger those guys in some regard. Um, to me, a lot of it is, is just closing games. But when you have three of the best closers or those that can work in isolation with efficiency, um, I, I think that gap with talent will make up for what you are lacking in chemistry and time spent together on the floor. 
So, Sarah, the way I've looked at this and the way I framed it is that it's my skepticism, if, if I could even call it that, that almost sounds like too strong of a word. It's not that I have any doubt about the ability of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden to play at a high level or to play at a high level simultaneously alongside each other. It's more that there's just no template for this. There's no precedent for this. And even if they had started the season together and then gone through this, it'd be one thing, but they did not start the season together. So they've not had a training camp together. There's been no practices in a season like this one anyway. And James Harden got to them a month in. So he hasn't even been with the Nets that long, period, much less on the court with them. So you have all that. And we spend every year of our NBA coverage, every season we talk about teams with their continuity, how many guys do they have back, and um, what they've been through together, their, you know, the, the, the trials that teams go through, they break through, they make a playoff run, they fall back, they go a little further the next year. Chemistry, rhythm, familiarity, like all of these things, they're not just buzzwords. Like, they do matter. So can we just possibly throw all of that out and just say, you know what, they're so incredibly talented that as long as they're healthy, none of that matters. Like, I have a really hard time going to that place and, and look like you you played the game at a high level yourself sarah like you know what it means to like um be able to read your teammates and especially in situations and in clutch time whether it's defensive reads offensive reads like that like you how could that stuff just all of a sudden not matter is that even possible i well i'll first say james harden did play 34 games with the Nets and you can call that a lot or a little depending on how you view it in the context of this season and he was averaging 25 around 25 11 and eight or nine or something like that but how he was able to orchestrate the offense and elevate the level of play of everyone around him that's I I don't know where you sit on it with the exit of Houston but that's why for many he was in the MVP discussion or feeling like he was playing at an MVP level. Um, and when it comes to reads, all the things you're saying, I agree with. But to me, there is a sense of when you have a level of experience and are elite at something and cerebrally look at the game along with how you play it, like you see it on the side. James Harden does not stop talking to his teammates when he's been at, on the throughout the course of the game. Every time there is anything, he's in it, and it's not for show, it's not for I'm gonna cheer, it's not. He legitimately is breaking things down, directing, talking to players, they're talking through stuff, guys come to the sideline, and, and Durant has said this before, Kyrie, when we're on the plane, when we're on, in the hotel, after the, they are constantly talking about the game. And so I think that is one aspect to it. And I think another aspect of it is just when you've done something at this level, like you've got to feel it's the same for you. Who's been doing, I mean, you could relate it to any profession or any, anything at some point when you are a veteran at something and you have seen every defense, you've seen every situation, every scenario you've been through, whether you've had success or failure, there is a level of comfort there. And I think these guys collectively, the point is collectively, can they have those same type of successes when they're on the floor? Um, I think a lot of that though, they just rely upon their past basketball experience and how they build that with some of the greatest players um, playing the game right now. So I, I don't think it'll be easy. Like I don't, I, I think of course there's questions. I think of course there, I, I don't think it's just a snap of your fingers and everything's gonna fit together how, um, you would assume, and I'm sure there will be challenges and bumps, but I, I think um, at this point of the year, especially everything all other teams are dealing with, I mean, we look at the season and across the board, different players being in and out and the challenge that I mean, you can go down the list of all of these other top tier teams and, and what they're facing. Um, I think at some point it just circles back to the talent and again, the, the others around them, the way that these other players fit in the feel and the instincts and the balance on the floor. There, there's just a lot of things that I wasn't expecting or that I've been surprised about with others. Um, offensively, they're spacing the balance, the ball movement, like so much of it is, oh, are they going to be such a heavy isolation team that it's your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. Um, and even when we've seen two of those guys on the floor at the same time or others, this team has been one that has found ways to continue to make sure they have a quickness and a pace in how they're playing. And so, you know, there's, there's not much else you can do than just be optimistic that when you are plugging in a 
multiple time all-star into a role where you have a, a different player um, that's at a, a different level of, um, you know, of performance that you will exceed where you've been and you've exceed the level of play. And so, I mean, it, it's a wait and see circumstance, but, but I do think there's reasons to believe that they will find ways to figure it out. Mike D'Antoni is an assistant coach on Steve Nash's staff. And I'm often reminded of something D'Antoni said when he was at Houston and I'm paraphrasing a little, but he said that when we're a top 15 defensive team, we're really good. When we're top 10, we can win the whole thing. Uh, the Nets' defense sucks. It is 26th right now in the NBA. Better late. The game against, well, okay, was the Milwaukee game a good defensive effort? Like, are we putting, like, um, let me just throw the numbers. Let me just throw the numbers at you. Like, I mean, against Milwaukee, you know, up here, they allowed the Bucks to shoot, what, uh, 50% from the floor, 41% from three, and 50% from the free throw line, which I guess is bad. But that's not really anything to do with defense. Uh, is Like, I get our, your point that, you know, they've been a little bit better as of late. Uh, but James Harden coming back doesn't help that defense. Like, it's not like he's some defensive how many, how many? How many points off turnovers did Milwaukee have? Oh, you you're really gonna do this? We're gonna. Uh, it's, do we have like elevator music we can play while uh, <laughs> <laughs> this goes on? Uh, the Bucks had get, 14, 14 points off turnovers. Nets had no, twenty, they, so they were up. I think you've. you've oh, is that the reverse? Uh, yeah. 20, 20 points off turnovers. Yeah. Sorry, I'm asking you a question. I knew the answer to. And I okay. get to this. I, I get to this. Because, Just say it, Sarah. Just say the damn answer. Well, I, I was trying. I was trying to have some uh, some build up, but. Uh, what I have seen, especially early on with the Nets, when they struggled immensely on the defensive end, when you saw steady improvements, when they were on a good streak and run, to me, the biggest factor that stresses their defense is when they turn the basketball over. And so if you pick out games where they've given up a ton of points or, or areas they struggle, and I'm not saying they're a top-tier defensive team, but when you're talking about trying to get to that, that 15th range, that middle ground of defense, it all circles back to did they take her the basketball? Were teams able just to, to get runouts, get easy looks, and second-chance points and, and, and taking care of the defensive glass? It, and that has been such a – heavy emphasis in my mind of when you see them be able to get stops because they've closed out games really well. Why? Well, because if they get you in the half court and they have to make some timely stops. They've shown an ability to do that. And so James Harden coming back, like I, I do, you can look at what you want with what you view him as a defender. Um, one, he takes care of the bat. I mean, him having another ball handler to be able to take care of the basketball and two, they're switching defense, how they have communicated and moved and how he can defend guys in the post at times. Um, he was a strong defender. And I think even like you look at Kyrie Irving, so much of it comes down to, to effort level and engagement, each possession, which you see more at the end of games and the activity and him getting some stuff. Like there's a lot of areas in maybe it won't pan out, maybe it will, but there's a lot of areas to me. I look at, I think Kevin Durant still coming back from that injury. You know, he, he, before he got hurt was probably the best defender that they had. Nicholas Claxton is finally available after, you know, coming out of health and safety protocols. Um, didn't play the other day. I think they'll probably ramp him up as they get towards the end of the season. Um, but Steve Nash has called him maybe one of their best defenders. They've been missing some pieces at times, that it, it goes back to, again, if guys get healthy, um, I think you can aspire to be that that around the middle of the pack defense that can do enough to support your offense um, and what they anticipate to do in terms of putting up points. But I, I, I've said this all season, and I, to me, so much of it is, is taking care of the basketball because there has been games that teams have had 20 extra shots, 15 extra shots, however many looks, um, and it's made a major difference at the end. Howard, were you were you dazzled by the 51% that Portland shot in the game against Brooklyn? Uh, 40, 44% from three. I'm just Wait, wondering but, where this – where is this great defense? Like, I didn't say it was like, great. Deep, I said it would have been better. It's been better. It was a low bar. Great. It was a low but, bar. But even, but even like Giannis, like, do you expect Giannis in that game? I mean, we're specifically looking at that one game. 
do you think he's going to hit? Do you think he's going to go four of eight from three and hit the? I don't know what the exact well, number. If of you're jump playing shots ten feet off of him every time he lines up for a shot, then yeah, probably. You do think so? If, you think that he's, he's if you're he's just 50%? if you're going to give him fifteen minutes to like you know steady himself, line it up, think about what he's ordering for lunch and everything. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. Mean, I don't think he's the guy you just leave out there anymore. Like he's still not consistent. No, you're he's right. Not the guy you but but I think that's where you learn. You have adjustment. You, you yeah. try to figure they gave him a he lot was he room. was incredible he was they incredible gave, yeah. and you are you are correct you are correct but he was incredible but uh, but i i do think there's a give and take that you learn for, and that goes back to like the playoffs are just a different beast all right so you can look at things yeah I, I, this is my biggest curiosity because you know we all look at this as really a three-team race in the east and i, I don't think too many people would argue that point um and it's hard to evaluate sample size. You haven't size. seen Evan Fournier shoot lately. <laughs> look, out, look out, Celtics. Evan Fournier knocking down threes. Uh, Celtics are so meanwhile, over. Meanwhile, Jalen Brown um, and Jason Tatum are running into each other. Oh, that, like, that was their season epitomized right so really bad. somehow. Uh, that was Sorry, awful. That was... Yeah. Um, who, Sarah, among the other two contenders in the East, do you think is the tougher matchup for the Nets? Is it the Bucks with Giannis? Is it the Sixers with Embiid? Uh, if if someone's going to derail them, which one is more likely to? I think that's such a tough question because they're both such excellent stacked teams. I've been really impressed. Obviously, Giannis is Giannis, but just really impressed with what Drew Holiday has been able to add to this group. Um, the way that the- – everyone else is shooting a three, like surrounding Giannis with shooters. Um, I think we're all just curious to see how the regular season season tweaks and adjustments in Milwaukee will translate into the postseason. However, Joel Embiid is just an absolute beast. And if there's an area that the Nets um, have throughout the course of the season, we have seen is struggled with, with big men, big men that can switch you out. I mean, that's, that is an area of concern is is the front court depth or just size when you're facing a a center that has a skill set of Joel Embiid. I mean, he's been a problem for everyone. So let's not act that he, he has not just been <laughs> dominating, um, you know, pretty much any opponent that he faces. But to me, jo- Joel is Joel is is scary, and how Philadelphia defense can be scary but then you look at the other side of things and you wonder will they go through stretches where they may be stagnant or struggle to score um so i i I don't know if there's a good answer and you also have shooters now like you have shooters open up the floor again for 76ers that we didn't really see um you know the last two post seasons or whatever um whatever it may be so i i don't i wouldn't necessarily say one over the other but i would say that the the lack of inside size for the Nets combated with what Joel Embiid is doing to the league. Um, he, he's just... As Sarah drops her headphone on the Zoom. I did. I knew it was falling out, but I also didn't want to touch it because I thought it was going to hang up the Zoom. No, that's fair. And we will end, though, on that note, though, Sarah. We appreciate it. I will look forward to um, your uh, positive comments on the defense as you and Howard believe it's clicking on all cylinders right now you're acting like we're, we're <laughs> saying they're one of the top defenses in the league i just you you just need to be able to but you let me say this like, support, you, like, you, you, like is Giannis gonna go for 49 again no but at some point you got to stop like a guy the you got to stop an mb you got to stop a Giannis. Okay, you gotta stop I, I get it but but just to that point against i mean milwaukee scored 117 the nets lost by three they gave up 20 points off turnovers and James Harden was sitting on the bench. No, like that's where the, co- I, what's we're that? Doing, we're doing moral victories now. Doing- oh, come on. Now. I'm not saying a moral victory. I'm just saying you're asking if Giannis is maybe Giannis is scoring 49 yet. I don't know. But the, when you're projecting, you're asking me to project. I think Milwaukee, I also think Milwaukee is tough. Like I'm not, Milwaukee's I, really good. Milwaukee's, what's gonna, like, Milwaukee is a tremendous team. Philadelphia is a tremendous team. Who, do, who knows what Joel also in Swiss, like Doc Rivers running the show, how that changes what you see. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think there is an easy path or an easy route or an easy answer for, for any of these teams, just because, you know, a lot is just going to depend on 
the chess match of what the postseason is. And I think that's what we're all excited for. I think a lot as well for all of these teams, depending on health. Um, where, where, does like, that, where does that Giannis block on Durant rank for you? That was oh! wild. Like, I don't think I've ever seen... Like, Durant has never been blocked like that before. No. Like, no. you're talking about a seven-footer with a wingspan that gets you up to, like, eight and a half getting blocked by on that show. I've never seen a block like that on a Kevin Durant type. No, no. I, and he came out of nowhere. I was shocked. I was shocked. Yeah. I mean, Giannis, he's, he's a freak. He's a that's freak defensive pet. player of the year stuff right there. Get your vote ready, Howard. Start changing your voting. Oh, right that's now. right. You both have votes, right? Both have votes. Yes. Ballots are coming tomorrow. The, I oh, they're coming tomorrow. Your brains. I, I believe so. Are you voting this year, sir? No, I don't get a vote. Oh, we have we're not very intelligent voters though we're we're low information well voters. if you want any of my opinions i ab- i absolutely will be hitting you we up have for... an offline discussion there we go steve also, nash howard Beck, you had two of what, what's that steve coach nash? of the year no nah, i don't think he's in i mean he's had a he's had a good year it's just i think there's a yeah whether it's there's i don't, think, I don't think he's of... the best coach i don't know if he's the best coach in new york right now tough field Tough field, it's yeah. Tough it's field. not a knock on him. Like, he's probably tremendous. yeah. There's all there's a lot of good. There's a there's a lot of good, a lot of good options. It's been fun. It's been such a crazy year, though. I mean, the question I've, I've had, and but maybe you can answer this before you go. Like, you know, you never know like the impact of coaching, right? Like how how important has a Steve Nash been? I mean, to this group, like could another coach have stepped in there and you know do the old plug and play with Coach X, and he would have had just as much success. I mean, where do you see the impact of Nash? I think his impact has been huge. And I will say, um, obviously on the floor, I think we have seen him grow, develop, whether it's play calling, in-game timeout, strategy, whatever. There, there's a lot. And I also think in having Mike Tony, Jack Vaughn, the, the entire coach at Ime Doka on the coaching stuff, like it's also hard to parse out what exactly, um, where the responsibilities lie. But I think we have seen a steady growth in, in that era, I, it is it is really just blown me away how his disposition and personality and being able to deal with personalities, um, the steady nature he's had through all the injuries and guys and that like you think about all the different things that this group has faced through the year. To me, it has filtered down and affected the entire attitude and personality of this team. And if if you would have told me that you had Kevin Durant playing 20 some odd games, Harden playing 30 some Kyrie play, and they would still be uh, at this point, what half game game back in Philadelphia for first in the East. Um, did the retirement of Marcus Aldridge. Like there, there has been a lot of different things that um, I have just been wildly impressed with again, his, his attitude and how much he seemingly has just affected um, the personality of this group. And so could another, co- I, I, I don't know the answer to that hypothetical, but I do think that who he is as a coach, but also just the respect that he's garnered um, for the job he does as a human and his, the way he resonates with guys um, definitely has, has made a difference. No, I've always thought that if coaching superstars was easy, you know, there'd be a lot more than just yeah. a handful of coaches this century that have won championships. Phil Jackson, Great superstar coach, Eric Spolstra, excellent superstar coach. It's not, it's not easy to coach these these quote unquote super teams. Well, because you need, you've got such big personalities, yeah, you need different personalities. But then you also need to make sure the rest of your roster and the other guys are you know ready and performing in a way that you need to to have them do. So yeah, it's, it's been not, impressive. It's not easy. It's not easy coaching Kyrie alone, as I saw up close and personal in Boston for for two years now, but especially that last year. <laughs> That's a conversation for another day. Uh, another Sarah- time. Wait, can I give a shout? It's uh, Howard. Yes. Your your tag team pod was probably one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I've ever heard. They're Those also guys- my favorite. They, oh, man, whoop whoop. There it is. Was was my cut when I was in like <laughs> I don't know high school, junior high. I don't remember when that was, but I can still recite every word. Sarah Kustak at at the junior high uh, dance. Rocking out to whoop, there it is. There's, oh, there's, there's an image we need. Like, are there maybe photos? I want a photo. Maybe that's why none of the boys asked to dance with me. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> no, they were great. They, thank you. Those, those guys were amazing. They were so much fun to talk to. So, We appreciate it, Sarah. No, it's good stuff. Thanks, Sarah. 
All right, Howard, we've spent some time and we will spend more time on the MVP race. Uh, there's, I think, I think, and you can tell me how you feel, but I think there is a little bit of clarity amongst voters when it comes to the very top of the ballot. I mean, Nikola Jokic is, I mean, he's playing unbelievable. Uh, his team is still playing well, even in the absence of Jamal Murray. Joel Embiid is back. It feels like those two are jockeying for one-two, but Jokic has uh, something of a lead. But every time I watch Chris Paul play, I wonder what's stopping me from voting for Chris Paul for MVP. I, I was on the, the Suns pregame show for the Suns Clippers game. Shout out to uh, Tom Leander and Tom Chambers. Tom Chambers, you are still the greatest video game character ever made. Um, and, and like they had asked me, like, you know, where do you put Chris Paul on your ballot? I think I said something along the lines of, I don't know if he's even in the top five. Like he's had a really good year, uh, but yeah, the Suns were really good in the bubble. Booker's great. Aiton has played awesome. They've got good support from the role players. No question Paul has made them better, but is he the MVP? I don't think so. But you just keep digging into the numbers, Howard, and you keep watching Chris Paul play and note the impact he has on these games. And you just wonder, like, uh, what are we, what are we, what are we missing here? Why isn't Chris Paul a stronger candidate for MVP? I mean, he's put up some really good numbers overall in the season. The Suns overall are twenty-five and nine against teams with plus five hundred records. That's a great mark uh, for a team that's so filled with young players. Chris Paul is ranked in the top twenty-five in the league in fourth quarter scoring. I mean, are we are we marking him? And I don't know where you have him on your ballot. I've got him now somewhere between three and five. But are we marking him correctly, or does he deserve more respect when it comes to the MVP? So he obviously deserves respect. He definitely deserves a lot of the credit for the Suns' breakthrough, and and it's one of the greatest breakthroughs we've seen. Right, a team that was in the the lottery for ten straight years, not just. Oh, add Chris Paul, make playoffs. It's add Chris Paul, and they're, you know, potentially the the best record in the NBA. As we sit here recording, they're you know tied with the Jazz for best record in the league. They could they could finish the season with the best record in the league. I mean, that, teams don't make that kind of leap without adding a LeBron James usually or or multiple stars. They added an older Chris Paul. Remarkable, absolutely remarkable what they've done. Chris Paul deserves credit. Devin Booker deserves credit. DeAndre Ayton deserves credit. Monty Williams deserves credit. And that's where the, the MVP case becomes difficult because the problem is it's hard to know how much to attribute to Chris Paul. Yes, he's the one big element that they added. Yes, they've made this big leap. But this is a young team that was having that incremental or sometimes more than incremental improvements that we see from young teams anyway. So DeAndre Ayton, Bridges, you know, Cam Johnson. Like, these are the, 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 the leaps you expect guys to make. Chris Paul has hastened some of that, Chris. But when you ask, like, why aren't we discussing it more? It comes down to this. It comes down to, like, the most simplistic thing that I, I almost feel apologetic saying it. But it's stats. It's stats. Chris Paul's averaging 16 points, 8.8 assists, 4.5 rebounds. All very good numbers. 1.4 steals. He's shooting 38% from three. He's shooting 54% from two. The advanced numbers are all great. He's shooting 93% from the line. But generally speaking, the MVP, as I always say, it's checking two boxes, right? Dominant individual performances and, and great team success. Chris Paul's got the team success part down. It's the strength of his case. But his numbers look pedestrian next to the guys who are leading. Because Jokic is putting up 26 points, almost 11 rebounds, and 8.5 assists. Because Giannis, who's the two-time MVP, who we keep overlooking, is averaging 28, 11, and almost six assists. And Embiid's averaging 29 points and 10.8 rebounds and a block and a half a game. Like, the problem is he doesn't have the gaudy stats that the other guys have. So shoehorning him at the top or leapfrogging him over those guys, Chris, is just really tough to do, though it's clear he's had a big impact on the Suns. But on the ballot... Yes, I think he deserves to be on the ballot, but even that, let me, I'll just real quick on mine, right? So my, my theoretical ballot as of today, Jokic would be number one, Embiid number two. I think Giannis is my number three. That leaves two spots. Curry has to get big consideration, Lillard, Kawhi, and Chris Paul. 
Now, there are others we can even talk about. We could talk about Doncic. Um, there are other players who have had great individual seasons, but who don't check the, the team success box at the highest level. That would be like Curry and, and Lillard and Doncic. But, but they've been good enough to be lower on the ballot. And Kawhi's had a great season. So, like, there's the problem. And this is why, of course, I'm now advocating for a longer MVP ballot. Because I think for guys who have those cases where it's like, you don't check every box, but you check a few of them. And, like, I would, I would rather get a, more of those guys on there. Because they're all almost equal standing, right? They have different things missing. And so it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's gonna, it's, like, that's going to be really tough. Four and five on the MVP ballot is going to be tough. Where do you think that the Suns would be right now without Chris Paul? Yeah, that's a great question. That's such a great question. Like, if, if they just still have, like, Rubio or, well, this, I don't it, know. Well, it begs the question, Howard, like, yeah. Does the 8-0 and o in the bubble, was that just an aberration or a harbinger of things to come? I look right, at more like, of the latter. Yeah, you, like you, and you have said this before, Chris. You've been consistent on this. To your, to, you know, the way you've looked at it, like that was where they turned the corner. Like this, this trajectory was coming with or without Chris Paul. And I think, I think there's a basis for that. I also think we've seen that Chris Paul can single-handedly change the complexion of a team. It's personality, it's mindset, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's aggression, it's confidence. Like, he's just, he's such a great leader and player. Like, he absolutely has something to do with this. Without him, are they fourth instead of first? And we're still talking about what a great breakthrough season they're having? Lottery to fourth in the West? Like, yeah, that's possible. Would they be number one without Chris Paul? I would say probably not. But it also depends on, like, our, who are we plugging in instead? Rondo? Um, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. They name somebody else that they could have gotten. I don't even know who else. I mean, you probably don't do a deal. In. You probably just keep Rubio, right? Like keep Rubio. Maybe maybe you're the ones making the trade for Kyle Lowry and in, 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 uh, at the trade deadline. You know, um, and and Kyle Lowry could have had a great impact on them. He's got that kind of ability too, and is a great leader. But Chris Paul has something to do with this. Chris, like we can't we can't pretend that like eight and zero was the be all end all. And that Chris Paul had no impact, he certainly did. Trying to figure out how much of the impact, like that's the tricky calculus here, and that's why it's it's hard to assess him for for MVP. And I know like some some people think he should be closer to the top or at the top of the ballot. Kendrick Perkins just had a ninety second rant on Twitter saying Chris Paul should be there and citing Steve Nash as the the precedent for it. I think those cases are very very different, but you know I I don't begrudge somebody for saying Chris Paul should be should be. Uh, considered at the top hey i i love perk i wrote that story about his kind of rise in the broadcasting ranks but perk's ballot's like 30 guys long at this point like it's <laughs> it's pretty damn long every time i open up instagram there's a picture of somebody with perk saying give this man more respect for mvp so it's wild there's the a best lot of people who need more respect according to perk the a best compl- the best compliment howard you can pay chris paul is that this year the suns are championship level team Without him, they wouldn't be. They would yeah. be in the middle of the playoff mix, maybe as high as top four in the Western Conference, because I do believe, as as we noted, that what they were doing in the bubble was foreshadowing something good. Uh, but they're a championship-level team, and that's Chris Paul. He's taken a lot of pressure off Devin Booker. He's been a coach on the floor for Monty Williams. He has just given Phoenix an institutional knowledge that will help them when the playoffs come around. doesn't guarantee anything. But it makes them a legit championship contender, and I don't believe they would have been without him. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From one side of that to another we got to talk about Oklahoma City. Thunder came to Boston last week and snapped a 14-game losing streak with a win over the Celtics that, quite frankly, they tried to give away. They had 27 turnovers in that game. And the Celtics, because they're almost equally as dysfunctional, they wound up losing uh, that game. The Thunder then turned around on Saturday and took a 57-point ass-kicking at the hands of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, they're tanking, Howard. There's no question about it. And you wrote a great piece uh, for the morning shoot-around last week about how the era of tanking is over. That said, tanking in individual forms is still very much alive. And Oklahoma City is doing it. They benched a healthy Al Horford who is having a productive season. Shea Gildas-Alexander has been out since March 22nd with a what should be a minor foot injury. This, this just, I mean, and I'm basing this on teams that I've talked to who have bellyached about this, like there's just no way that this injury is what's keeping Shea out of the lineup. You see the Thunder rotate players in and out uh, per game, basically. Lou Dort plays well. All of a sudden, Lou Dort is on the sidelines for a game or two. Uh, Ty Jerome, I think, missed the last game. Like Anybody that might help them win somehow finds his way to the sidelines. Um, is this an issue? Like, Is this something the NBA needs to address? I mean, how do, how do you look... Yeah, you know, I, I I buy that the tanking era is over, and part of that is the play-in tournament. But there's always going to be individual cases of tanking. Is this just kind of one of those, you know, close your eyes and think of England moments for the NBA, or do they have to step in and do something when situations like this arise? Yeah. So I mean, the good news for the NBA is that the combination of the flatter lottery odds, which went into effect in 2019, and the play-in this season, I think combined have really discouraged tanking and especially like the late season tank where teams just say, you know what? We can't make it to eighth. Screw it. Pull the plug, bench everybody, play the kids. We're developing the kids. That's okay, guys. We're just, we're developing the kids. We're not actually taking. We're just Oklahoma city. When they played Boston, their average age was two years younger than Baylor. That's that's literally the kids. They were literally (laughs) playing the kids. So, you know, that, that's like the euphemism, you know, in, during the worst of, of, of the tanking era, the euphemism uh, for tanking was just, uh, we're playing the kids, we're developing the kids. And that's, you know, there's some legitimacy to that, but mostly it's teams that are just pulling the plug so they can participate in the race to the bottom to get the most ping pong balls. Well, there's much less incentive with the flatter lottery odds. It's not that there's no incentive, there's still incentive. The Thunder are showing that right now, but there's less incentive. So the good news is, this is not a, a widespread issue. It's like, if you look around, like even like the Raptors got dinged, got fined for uh, violating the resting rules. And yet they're still actually winning games and competing really hard. We just saw them knock off the Lakers last night. So there's no one else really like distinctively tanking. That's, that's good news. But the Thunder absolutely flagrantly are. And it, it's, not, it's not really 
like they're not trying to hide it. Like when you when you when you bench Al Horford, I don't even where is Al Horford? Can anybody like does anybody on earth know where Al Horford is? Has he been seen? Has he been put is he on Instagram? Is he like is he in, just on an island somewhere in isolation? I, I don't know. Collected a big check to sit out of the lineup. So and and to your point, Shea Gilgis Alexander might have the worst case of plantar fasciitis in the history of plantar fasciitis. Um, there's needless to say skepticism around the league about how long they've kept him out with that injury. So either you further flatten the lottery odds or you scrap the lottery altogether and just have a, you know, some other kind of form for the draft. We could go with Mike Zarin's wheel. I I think I'm the last person aside from Mike Zarin who still wants the wheel. Um, there are other ways of going about the draft that don't involve, you know, having a bad record to get the best pick. Um, you can't tell the Thunder or any other team to play a guy. You can't force them to play Al Horford. You can't force them to bring back Shea Gelgis Alexander or say, we're going to have doctors examine him and prove that you're faking something. Like, I just, I don't know where else the league can go with this, Chris, um, other than, you know, trying to really hold teams to account and hold their feet to the fire as much as you can, threaten them if you can, but like you can't tell them who to play or who not to play. I don't, I don't know if this is solvable short of, of, you know, revamping the whole lottery system. I agree. Uh, Oklahoma City right now, though, is in a legitimate race to the bottom. As we record yeah. this, they have yeah. the fifth worst record in the NBA, just a couple of games away from having – they're not going to catch Houston, but they could finish with the second or third worst record, which, because of the flattened lottery odds, is all you really need. Um, but they have attached, like, a cannonball – to their ankles and jumped into the pool. Like they, I mean, they are doing everything possible to find ways to lose. And I agree. If a guy has what was at one point a legitimate injury, you can't really tell the team to activate him and bring him back. The Horford thing bothers me a little bit. Like they came out and said, like, we're not going to play Al Horford anymore. (laughs) Like that was, and it wasn't, they weren't even making an excuse. It's like, we're just not going to play Al Horford anymore. No, they're, they're playing the kids. Moses Brown's look pretty good. (laughs) Moses Brown does look pretty good. He deserves a three-year extension for for, for that. Um, I, I just, I, I, if I'm the NBA, like that's where I say, that's where I might draw the line. I would say, all right, you don't have to play Horford, but if he's healthy, he's dressing, and you got to take him on the road with you, and you got to do all, all right. like you got to go through the most. They still don't play him, but if they still don't play him, okay, the charade is just a different version of it. Like it, it is, it is, it. but it reminds me, Howard, like not to bring politics into this, and we won't, but like. You know, when people talk about reforming the filibuster, one of the things they say is, like, you have to actually go out there and speak on the Senate floor. Like, you have to stand there and actually do a filibuster. Like, make Oklahoma City go through the motions. Like, make them go through the motions of putting Al Horford in a shooting shirt and sending him out there to play. Like, make them go through that. I I mean... It would. It, it's something. It's not going to change the outcome. I, we should just point out, by the way, for listeners who are not spending all their time on tankathon.com. So great site. Because they're 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 tied for the fifth worst record right now. The Thunder have a forty percent chance of a top four pick, and a ten percent chance for the number one pick. So why would they be tanking right now? Because of this. If they can get to like second worst record, which is um, in striking distance right now. That would go from a 40% chance at a four, top four pick to a 52% chance at a top four pick. And number one would go from 10% chance to 14% chance. These aren't huge increases, and, and that's by design. When they reformed or re, you know, flattened the odds, that was the whole point. But an extra 4% chance for number one, an extra 12% chance for a top four in a draft that is believed to be four or five deep with, with potential franchise changers, that's worth it. And that's why they're doing it. Yeah, I, I understand why they're doing it. And Sam Presti is a lot smarter than both of us when it comes to building an NBA team. He clearly sees something at the top of that draft, whether it's Cade Cunningham, a local product, uh, whether it's uh, Mobley, whether it's Jalen Green. Uh, he sees something of high value there. It's just the Horford stuff is just bizarre. Like they just said, we're not going to play him anymore. Guys having like a resurgence season and, and uh, they decided – they're not going to play him anymore. All right, we're going to take a few questions from uh, people via social media. I'm going to aggregate a couple of them, Howard. Got a few of the same. Uh, first question is about the ballots, and we talked a little bit about the MVP. Uh, as you look up and down the potential ballots, what's your most difficult call? I'm not talking about the ballot overall, 
I'm talking about the top of the ballot. What is your most difficult winner right now to call? Wow. Well, I mean, obviously, if we were doing the whole ballot, as we discussed with MVP, fourth and fifth, those are going to be tough. But yeah, like, that's not as interesting, right? Like, where where's the real battle still going on for, like, the winner of an award? I think sixth man of the year is is a pretty good battle. And I, I talked about this with, uh, with Zach Lowe on his pod uh, earlier today. Um, you know, Jordan Clarkson had kind of like the lead. I mean, I know it's like, it's, it's so silly. We talk about like who was in the lead in like February or whatever. Like there is no, like it's a whole season award, but because we talk about them nonstop in this business, it does feel like somebody has a lead. Clarkson came out on fire, was, was not just scoring a lot, but was scoring at a pretty good efficiency uh, for the Jazz. And given how successful the, the Utah Jazz have been, he felt like the front runner. But Joe Ingles on his own team, on that same second unit, scoring less, but scoring at an insane level of efficiency, like historically great levels of efficiency. And so Ingles is a legit candidate for this as well. He doesn't have like the raw points per game numbers, but it's because Clarkson takes almost twice as many shots per game as he does. It's like 15 to eight. And so it, it, it brings us to this like kind of, um, this like philosophical question about basketball, right? Like, Okay, you know, this is why we debate like Russell Westbrook or we would debate Allen Iverson and efficiency. Well, they score a ton, but if you're shooting 40%, does that does that um, make it a little less valuable? And with somebody who shoots, you know, fewer shots but at a higher higher efficiency, like we we get into these battles, these philosophical battles, these analytics battles and all this stuff, and we're seeing it play out on this little this like small version of it with the six man on the same team. Ingles is High efficiency, also a great ball handler and, and, and passer. Um, but Clarkson, he probably gets you those Kobe assists that Kirk Goldsberry talks about, right? You miss, but it, but one of your teammates has a chance for a putback, or you get your team gets the offensive rebound, and there's there's another opportunity closer to the rim. And besides that, Clarkson, because of his individual skills at creating space and breaking down a defense, he's probably creating some of those opportunities for Joe Ingles to get those high efficiency shots. And that's just those two. And those two are, are probably one, two in some order. Montres Harrell deserves to be in, in, in that discussion. There are a few others, you know, we could talk about um, for six man. But I like that one to me, I think, is, is going to be uh, a little stressful on my brain. Yeah, it's gotten a lot more interesting over the last couple of months because I'm with you. I thought Clarkson was going to be the runaway winner of that award around the midseason point. But uh, he's got some competition now. For me, it's it's coach of the year. Uh and I think it's a three-man race with Quinn Snyder, Tom Thibodeau, and Monty Williams. And I don't really know how to break it up. I mean, to me, I just lean towards Thibodeau because I never saw this Knicks team coming. And as the season winds down, they're not slowing down. Like, they're not, you know, they're continuing to fight for that middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference playoff spot. And this was a team with just no expectation. This is a team, too, that is deeply flawed. I mean, Julius Randle, his ascension has something to do with Tom Thibodeau. Like, he's come out and said as much. Uh, R.J. Barrett, the way he's played this year, you have to give Thibodeau credit for that. They're doing it with a point guard by committee approach. They're doing it somehow ranked in the top 10 in three-point shooting, despite the fact that they don't have more than like one, like Reggie Bullock maybe is the only guy you look at and say that's a three-point shooter. They Alec somehow Burks. rank in, yeah. Alec Burks, yeah, he's there too. But they don't have a team loaded with shooters, and yet they rank in the top 10 in three-point shooting. It's, it's almost miracle-working that Tibbs is doing out there. And I look at the Western Conference, and maybe I didn't see Utah playing at this level, but I thought they'd be really good. Maybe I didn't see, to go back to our previous conversation, Phoenix playing at this level, but I thought they'd be really good. Uh, I didn't see the Knicks playing at any level. I thought they'd stink. I thought they'd be in the lottery, and here they are. Uh, I don't know where they are right now as we, we talk, but they're somewhere in the top five, I think. Fourth. And fourth, right. Uh, and, and with a chance to have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. Like, that's wild to me. Absolutely wild. Um. It's definitely those three guys, right? It's Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder, and Tom Thibodeau in whatever order 
you want to go. Like, there are other guys who are on the fringe of this discussion. Um, Steve Nash, as, as Sarah Kustak alluded to, I, I think Nash deserves a lot of credit because it's easy to say, oh, well, he had these three superstars. Yeah, but he barely had them. He had them for seven games together, and everything else has just been a wildly rotating cast of characters, you know, setting records for a number of starting lineups, um, adding... Blake Griffin adding LaMarcus Aldridge, losing LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, Nick Claxton starts the season not even in, in the picture, then becomes a big rotation player. Like, they've had to go through a lot of adjustments, and I think Nash has handled that really deftly, but I just I don't see him cracking that top three. So I, I think Nash is on the outside. Doc Rivers is another one who deserves to be at, at least considered uh, the job that he's done with the Sixers. But again, I think it is, it's one of those three guys. It's, it's Tibbs, Quinn Snyder, or Monty Williams. I'm leaning Monty right now. Mm. Um, but I, I could talk myself in and out of all three of those guys 50 times between now and when we have to turn our ballots in. My prediction on this is that Thibodeau wins it, and I think part of the reason he'll win it is that Williams and Quinn will split the Western Conference vote. I think Tibbs is, hmm. with the respect to Steve Nash and some of the and Doc Rivers, I think Tibbs is the clear best coach in the conference, and I think a lot of people will on the East Coast will vote uh, for Tom Tibbs. It's, it's going to be close, though. Here, here's another funny way of looking at it, though, in terms of, like, I hadn't really thought of it till just now, but, like, in terms of, like, splitting the vote, right, there's two models of, of voting for coach of the year. There's coach who has the best team or one of the best teams, great record, and, you know, 60, 65 wins in a normal season or something. And then there's the wildly, achieve, wildly exceeded expectations version. And sometimes it's the, sometimes it's the same guy. Um, yeah. And this year it could be because the Suns are one of the best teams in the league by record. And they wildly, wildly... Uh, exceeded expectations but if you're going by like the Suns and the Knicks are kind of avatars of each other or analogs of each other in the two conferences they're both teams that have been out of the playoffs a long time that are ending those playoff droughts and that have coaches that have I think a significant amount to do with that and who made leaps that nobody 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 saw coming the Jazz going from good to great nobody saw coming either but the Suns and Knicks made the bigger leaps and so maybe if you're voting based on that that model of you know exceeded expectations there could be a split money vo- voters versus tibbs voters i don't know <laughs> ah, it's 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 gonna be close that'd be really interesting to see what the results are uh when they come out um let's talk quickly about the lakers uh as we record this they're gonna play denver at home uh tonight but going into that game they've lost three straight they've lost six of their last seven anthony davis his return has not had a significant impact. LeBron James, his return, has not had a significant impact at this point. They lose to Sacramento at home. Ugh. They lose to Toronto at home. Ugh. Uh, meanwhile, LeBron is saying that he doesn't feel like he's ever going to be 100% ever again. Take that for what it's worth. And now Dennis Schroeder is out 10 to 14 days uh, because of health and safety protocols. I guess we'll ask the question this way, because a few people asked about the Lakers. Uh, scale of 1 to 10 on your level of concern for L.A. 1 being, you're good, no concern whatsoever. 10 being, it's time to move the Lakers back to Minneapolis. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, all, it's all downhill. Uh, give me your 1 to 10. Moving back to Minneapolis and uh, like uh, re- revive the ghost of George Mikan or something. And don't take those championships with you either. <laughs> that's the boston uh, guy in me talking i i uh, i do love the uh, the old uniforms with uh Mupolis on the front they were like the yes. strangest pr- uh, what was with with did they not know how to abbreviate back then Mupolis. it was like weird. mpls period um I, i'm at about an eight on on the on the laker panic scale um you know it's not 10 because there's still the possibility that LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy and, and Schroeder is back when they start the playoffs and they just start rolling people because they're the Lakers and they're LeBron and AD. Um, but right now, like we have no reason to believe Chris that like with, you know, a couple weeks to go that LeBron's going to be anywhere near full strength or that they'll be in rhythm. And LeBron and Anthony Davis have barely played with Andre Drummond, who's a significant new piece for them. Ben McLemore is in the rotation now. That's a new piece. Schroeder's got to get healthy. There's just, I always look at like just the volatility index, essentially, like, like how many different variables are, are up in the air. They just got too many things up in the air right now. And as you and I speak, as we record this, they're, they're in this three-way tie for five, six, seven in the West with Dallas and Portland. They could easily slip into that seventh spot and be in the play-in tournament where two losses and you're not even in the playoffs anymore. Like they're in a, Pretty precarious position, Chris. So, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm at about an eight. What about and you? That schedule, 
is not easy over the next two weeks, beginning with Denver, then they play uh, against the Clippers, then Portland, which is somehow, some way, playing great basketball right now. Phoenix, New York. I mean, this is that's a murderer's row they've got over the next week to 10 days. Uh, mine's at about a seven, I would say, at this point. Uh, and I base that largely on my own past history of you know betting against LeBron. I mean, I was the guy that said Boston was going to upend the Cavaliers over the years. That didn't happen. I, a couple of times I thought, uh, you know, whether Chicago or somebody else would get past the, the heat in the Eastern Conference. That didn't happen. He just has a way, Howard, of taking his game to another level. And, you know, when the, when the games get bigger, he plays better. And I think there's enough time over the next couple of weeks to, at the very least, get LeBron and Anthony Davis right physically. Now, the Schroeder, <laughs> I think the Schroeder issue is being seriously underplayed right now. Because if the Lakers wind up in the play-in, and they have to do it either without Dennis Schroeder or with Dennis Schroeder still working his way back from just coming back from health and safety protocols, uh, which we've seen can take something out of you. It takes guys time to come back uh, from these COVID-related issues. Uh, that could be a problem. Like, the, the Lakers were 0-4 in games that Schroeder missed earlier in the season. He's a key piece to what this team does. You can't just plug and play Alex Caruso or somebody else in the place of Dennis Schroeder. That, to me, is is worrisome. But if they can get through this play-in stuff and get to the first round, I mean, I look at the Western Conference. There are really good teams there, but is there, like, a great team? Like, Utah's really good. Phoenix is really good. The Clippers... They could be great, but uh, you can't count on the Clippers to do anything at this point. Like, I think the Lakers benefit from the fact that there's no super team that they're going to have to face at less than full strength. Honestly, Howard, I'd be more concerned about the Lakers if they were doing this in the Eastern Conference right now. If I'm the Lakers, I wouldn't want to face Milwaukee or Brooklyn or uh, Philadelphia in the first round. I'd almost rather face some one of the trio of Utah, Phoenix, or uh, the Clippers in that first round. So I'm at about a seven, but I'm still not going to bet against LeBron James. He's he's done this too many times to think that he can't pull it together in the next couple of weeks and do it again. Um, I made this crack on Twitter last night. Laker fans were not amused. Um, apparently they don't share my sense of humor. But uh, I just said, like, you know, just as we all said at the trade deadline, Kyle Lowry will have a big impact on the Lakers. Uh, I saw that. Yep. I mean... It, it, it was a joke, like, okay, it's the trade they didn't make, and here he is, like, like you know, contributing to knocking them down the standings last night. Phenomenal game. But, you know, look, you can't count on the idea that you, you couldn't have expected Schroeder to be out and, and all these other things happening, but they were always a little bit weak at that position, and one of the things that this Lakers team has needed ever since LeBron got there were other playmakers to share the load when LeBron's not on the court or even just to have his secondary playmakers. To your point, Schroeder being out right now really hurts them because... Who else is is running this thing? And, you know, we, we saw how much they suffered without LeBron. Now, any team without LeBron is going to suffer. But having other steady veteran playmakers uh, can help offset that. I thought they should have made the trade for Lowry at the time anyway. So this is not 2020 hindsight, as some people were accusing me of. This is not me just taking shots. Like, I thought they absolutely should have gone all in. You have, a, you have whatever your window is with LeBron James at this age. You maximize it. I don't care what youth you're giving up. It's not about next year or the year after that or whatever Taylor Horton Tucker might eventually become. You gotta you gotta be all in for right now. And I've said that with every team that LeBron has been part of. I applied that same standard to Cleveland and I thought they were crazy for not trading away that Nets pick years ago that they could have traded to help him try to win, win one more there. So I'm consistent on this. But yeah, th- this is as precarious a position as we've seen them in in some time. But if they're healthy when the playoffs start, you're right. No super teams in the West. Good teams, not great. But I'm not ruling out, like, if, if the Lakers aren't on their game, if they're not fully healthy or fully in rhythm, could the Clippers knock them out? Yes. Could the Nuggets knock them out? Yeah. Suns, Ooh, Jazz, betting the Nuggets possibly. There? No Jamal Murray? We're betting on the Nuggets to knock the Lakers out? Ooh, that, that the, might the just Nuggets be... Have won, the Nuggets have won, like, what, 9 of 10 or something since Jamal I Murray know, went down? I know, but playoffs are a different animal, though. I mean, I'm not, not right, taking right. anything away from what they're doing, but, you know. All right, but, jo- but Jokic is impossible to, to cover. Yes. And, and the Nuggets do have some, have some depth and great talent there. Um, I do like I the Drummond-Davis not... pairing against Jokic, at least to slow him down a little bit. I think that's... Yeah, it also slows down the Lakers, apparently. True. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I mean, these are all kinks they got to work out with Drummond. Yes, no with worries. no time to do it. Nope. 
all good things happening in LA. Howard, uh, looking forward to the Friday pod. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again next week. Always a pleasure, my friend. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.